1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1, and here's what Peter says. Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but freely, according to God's will, not for the money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Let me pray over these verses this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of elders. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us today what that means for us as a church and how that impacts how we do ministry here, how your word gets out to this community. So I pray that you would teach us, move in our hearts. I thank you for, for the elders here. And I pray that you would bless them today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last couple of weeks, we have covered a couple of different topics about what church is really about. We, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Lord's Supper, and then we participated in the Lord's Supper. And then last week we had a baptism, today we had a baptism, and, and last week we, I, I preached on baptism and what that means in the life of the church. And it began me thinking about what, what is it that, is, uh, that makes a, a healthy church, what does it mean to be a healthy church? And so probably over the next few weeks we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a church. And, and to begin with, I wanted to talk about leadership. And so today I'm going to talk about uh, the topic of elders. Now, some of you just tuned out when I said that. You just, you just shut off. and you Okay. Uh, but I, I encourage you, don't do that. Don't, don't shut off just because you think, well, this isn't going to be about me. Um, David Platt, who's the, the president of, of the International Mission Board, he said, a biblical model of church leadership is necessary for the church to display the glory of Christ. And I think that's important. I mean, who, who, leadership is important, and it impacts the, every aspect of church. And so this, is, this in, impacts you as well. And in fact, that's, that's what I'm hoping, that we will learn a little bit from this and know what we can an, anticipate from, from the elders. And so I'm just going to go through with some of the questions that I, I kind of anticipate you might be, be asking. And the first question you might have is, why would you preach on elders? Why would you do this? And in, in a time where there is so many people who need Christ and, and they need the gospel, and there's so much need right now physically and spiritually, why would I essentially waste a sermon on, on elders, on, on leadership in the church? And I want to give you some free, uh, a few reasons why I would do that. And, and uh, there's not much space in your bulletin to write this, so if you, if you want to, great. This isn't the key part, but I wanted to give you some reasons why I would spend some time preaching on it. And first is that the Bible talks about it. Um, it's in Scripture. 
We, we just read here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter wrote about what the elders should be doing. Paul, in another part of Scripture, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, he spends time talking about what it means to be an elder and what kind of person needs to be an elder. And if the Holy Spirit inspired men to do this, to write this down, and God preserved it in His Word, then we should, we should know it. We should know what the Scripture has to say. We, if we want to be faithful to God's Word, then we need to talk about what the Bible talks about. And one of the things they talk about is, is elders. Second reason I would preach on this is that elders are important gifts to the congregation. When Paul was giving instructions to his protege, protege Timothy or Titus, in Titus 1.5, this is what he said, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, as I directed you, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. Paul told Titus that he, he left him in Crete, and he says, I want you to elder, I want you to pastor there. I want you to be the elder there. And every place there's a church, there needs to be elders in it. Every church has to have elders. It's important to have those. Now, we're going to talk about what those are, but right now, he says it's important. It was a foundational part of church life. Third reason I'm going to preach on elders is that Jesus gives elders to the church. This gift to the church is given to the church by Jesus. Listen to these verses in Ephesians 4, 4 verse 11. And he, and it's talking about Jesus, personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So Jesus gave each and every church specific offices. And one of those is pastor and teacher. And we're going to see in a minute that that's the same office as elder. And so God, God in, in, in the second person, of, of, second person of Trinity, Jesus Christ, he gave, he gave every church uh, elders. And if Jesus gives you a gift, you need it. He doesn't give unnecessary gifts. And so this is a it's an important to know what that's about. The fourth reason I would preach on elders is so that we can understand why he, Jesus gave elders. We want to know why he did this. The term is always used in the plural, the elders of the church. So why did Jesus give this plurality of leadership? And in Ephesians 4, it tells us two main reasons that he gave the, the pastors or the elders. And if we read further in Ephesians 4, it would say he gave these office, offices of pastor-teacher to, to build up the body of Christ and to show God's glory. That somehow, through, through the leadership, the church then is able to, to be built up and that shows God's glory. They're, they're able to mature spiritually. And the last reason I'm going to talk about today, there might be more, but the last reason I'm, I would say I'm going to preach on it today is, is this. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. That's, that's not a phrase original with me, but it captures the idea. I know I'm not the only one that thinks that everybody has lost their marbles, right? I mean, it is like things are spinning out of control, things are going off the rail, 
people are not thinking well and, and crazy things seem to be happening between, between violence and wars and rumors of wars like the Scripture talks about through the things of just political agenda being forced through. And the more we see things heading south, so to speak, the more the world needs the church to function at its best. Because the main problem is that they need Jesus. And so we want to to make sure that the body of Christ is functioning at its best. And to do that, we look at what Scripture has to say. How are we to function? And Scripture says that in leadership, there should be elders. And so for us to function at our best, we need to understand what that means. And so with the question of why I would preach that, and maybe you, that's not satisfying to you, but that satisfied me, okay, I think that's, that's good, good reason enough. I wanted to move through some other questions that you might have with elders. And so in this, in this body um, of believers, we have three elders, and that's Bob Millard, Wes Hartman, and myself. Those are the three elders. It might seem a little self-serving to preach about elders when I am one, but that's one of my jobs is to preach you what Scripture has to say. And this sermon is not just for us three. It is for, it's for everyone here. And so because first you need to know what elders have to say, and then how does that relate then to our body? So let's, let's look at some of these questions and see what we can learn learn from them. And so I'm going to start with the first question of what is an elder? What is an elder? Look in verse 1 and 2 of of 1 Peter 5. Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but freely according to God's will, not for the money, but eagerly. And I'm going to stop there. It's good to begin with what um, we understand the word elder means. And there are churches that would say there are elders and then there are pastors. And that's not how Scripture talks about them. And, and the churches that hold to that then would have some sort of elder board that, would, that the, the pastor then is, is answerable to. And that is not how this church functions and that's not how Scripture talks about it. In fact, I don't want to get too technical, but he does have, he uses three Greek words here that talk about, talk about the uh, leadership of the church, and, and to understand these help us understand what elder means. And the first word he uses is the word presbyteroi, and that literally means elders. That's translated elders. The word for elder here is presbyteroi, and you can listen real close, you can hear the word presbyterian in that. Uh-oh. It's okay. That's because Presbyterians have a system of church government that utilizes elders. They have ruling elders, teaching elders. I won't go into the the, the detail of how Presbyterians rule themselves, but they rule themselves through elders. Originally, the word had to do with those who were, in fact, older people, and you would go to them for wisdom, and they were just the elders. 
And then pretty soon that came to be meaning the, the, the people who led the city, the elders of a city who, were, who had authority and, and just knew how things were run. And that then was moved into the church body. And it has the idea of not being physically older, but, but a spiritual maturity that comes from, from the elders. That is to say that an elder is someone who is spiritually mature in the faith. Scripture says he should not be a recent convert, not someone who just came to know Christ, but someone who has known Christ and is gr- not only has grown in his faith, but is growing and is maturing daily in their walk. That's, what, that's one aspect of an elder. Another, another term that he uses is a Greek word, poimeno. Pro, pomeno. I, could, I, I did the translation, and we just never had to speak the, the Greek all that much. Um, poimeno. doesn't matter. The word is shepherd. The word is shepherd there. It literally means to tend a flock. And it was used in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, to talk about the leaders of God's people. A lot of times the leaders of God's people were called shepherds. And God has lots to say to them. In Ezekiel 34, he really has a lot to say about the shepherds of God's people. It's a sobering chapter. The Greek word is the, the, the basis for our, our English word pastor. So an elder is a pastor-shepherd. And we're going to go into that in detail in a minute. But an elder is, is not only spiritually mature, it's a, an elder is a pastor. And then there's a, a third word he uses here, episcopointes, which is the word overseer. Some versions will even say, say bishop. It's the word exercise oversight here or overseeing. Some, and it might say watching over. It's the Greek word episkopos. And again, if you listen real close, you could hear the word episcopal church there because they use that kind of leadership as well. It's, it's, it's the idea of overseeing. It has the idea of administration behind it. An elder is an overseer. That means there's some administration stuff that they do in the church. And the amazing thing about 1 Peter here isn't saying that there should be elders and pastors and bishops or elders, pastors, and overseers. It's saying that the elder is a pastor who oversees. It is, it is one office. And so in, in our church, there are two offices. There is the elders and there are the deacons. And that's the two offices that our church holds. And the elders are the, the leadership of the church, the servant leaders. And so there are not three offices, but one. Now, I'm honored that many of you call me pastor. I tell people, you can call me Roland. Some people say, what do you want to be called? I said, my mama called me Roland, so that's fine. Um, but, uh, but I appreciate the respect that people want to show calling me pastor. That's, that's fine. Um, but I wanted to just point out that Wes and Bob are your pastors as well. They are, and, and I'm, they don't like to be called pastor, I know, but they are your pastors. They are your shepherds, and, and they do lots of overseeing that you may not even know that they do, and do lots of, of work for the church. In fact, our Constitution calls for five elders, where we would have five pastors, five 
elders, five overseers who would, who would five, five men who would commit their lives to Christ and serving the body. And that's what, that's what uh, um, the Constitution calls for. And, and that, well, I'll, I'll leave that there. But, and we're currently looking for a children and youth minister. And that, will not, that person initially will not be an elder because we won't, we won't know that person as well. Now, maybe that person might eventually become an elder. But that person, and, and so we, uh, that title is children and youth minister because he's a, he's a servant, a minister to the children and youth. And we're using that term very specifically so as not to confuse, although that might start bringing in confusion. The point is the elders are the pastors or the overseers. There's one office. And that's the way Scripture speaks of it. I just wanted to be clear that we're, we're want to be sure that we're clear on the roles in the church because to function well, we need to understand the roles. Um, I know traditionally the guy who gets up to preach, that's the pastor. And I just want to be clear that Bob and Wes and I, we are the elders, we are the pastors. The second question you might have to help clarify is what does an elder do? What is it that elders do? Well, Peter gives one command in this passage. He gives one job to the, to the elders, and it's the same job that, that Jesus gave Peter when he was being restored. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. And in essence, he's saying, shepherd my people. And that's what he says in verse 2. This is what he exhorted the elders, shepherd God's flock among you. That's the command. Shepherd the flock is the job of the elders. It's what we're called to do. This is not a call to shepherd the elders' flock. The elders don't have a flock. God has a flock. And he calls certain men to come in and care for his people. It has the idea that the elders are responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church, but it's not, but the elders are not the total ministry of the church. Every member is, is, a, is a minister. That's the way it works. Is that we all go and minister. But the elders are responsible to shepherd the flock. And so if you just start thinking about what a shepherd is and what a shepherd does, you get an idea of what elders do. First of all, a shepherd protects. A shepherd protects the flock. One of the main jobs of an, of an elder is to protect people, specifically from, from false doctrine. If you would look in, you, you, you look in Acts 20, there, there is a, a passage where Paul is, is trying to get to Jerusalem in order to get to Pentecost before, before Pentecost starts, and he's trying to get there, and he ends up in Miletus, and he wants, he wants to talk to the elders in Ephesus, and he calls all the elders to Ephesus to Miletus. And he gives them some instruction. If you read in verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And then he gives them some instruction. And one of those instructions, uh, one of, one of that, part of that instruction is in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God 
which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and men will rise from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure disciples into following them. Therefore be on alert, remembering that day and night for three years I did not stop warning each of you with tears. Can you hear his passion here for God's people? He's saying, man, there is, there, there is an enemy out there. And the enemy wants to bring in false doctrine into the church. And he calls them savage wolves coming into the flock. They are seeking out to bring in false doctrine. And he says, you elders have to protect God's people. And so one of the jobs of the elders is to protect from false doctrine. Paul instructed Timothy with this as well. We read verse 5 where he says, I want you to appoint elders in every town. But in verse 9, Titus 1.9, he says, holding, faithful, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he'll be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. And so one of the things elders are supposed to do is to encourage people with sound doctrine and to refute, sound doc, uh, refute false doctrine so that when someone comes in and wants to bring in false doctrine, they say that's not going to happen here. It's a protection of God's people. It's not about authority. It's not about, about a cult-like uh, control over people. It's saying false doctrine has no place in this in this building are in the lives of, of, of these people. But the word is going to dictate what we believe. A, a, a shepherd protects the people. A shepherd then also has to stay alert. You can imagine a, a shepherd out in the field staying alert all night, making sure that his flock is safe. And so he says they stay alert. And we see in Acts 20 again, verse 31, we just read it. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night for three years, I did not stop warning each of you with tears. The elders have to stay alert because any time the enemy could attack. God has harsh things to say about the shepherds of his people who don't stay alert to the false doctrine. That means, the, that means shepherds have to know God's word. It means they're in it regularly. It means they also have to understand a little bit of, of what false doctrine is going on out there because there's always something new that's trying to pull away God's people. But God does not have much sympathy for shepherds who are not alert to this. In, in Isaiah 56, 9 through 12, there's almost a mocking of these leaders of God's people who are not alert. And it says, all you animals of the field and forest, all you savage wolves is what he's saying. Come and eat. Israel's watchmen are blind, all of them. They know nothing. All of them are mute dogs. They cannot bark. They dream, lie down, and love to sleep. These dogs have fierce appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who have no discernment. All of them turn to their own way, every last one for his own gain. And then there's a quote from these, these poor shepherds that say, these bad shepherds, Come, let, let me guzzle some beer, and tomorrow it'll be like today, only far better. See, the leaders were not alert. They're saying every day is the same. We don't have to worry about anything tomorrow because everything's just the same. And so they weren't alert to the dangers coming up. So they're like, let's just, 
get some beer and gets drunk and, and it'll, it'll all be fine. And it's not. God wants his elders to stay alert in order to protect the flock. Shepherds also fl- feed the flock. They're responsible to teach God's word to, to the people and they are to feed off of that. Peter knows this better than anyone because, like I said, after he had denied Christ three times, Christ then restores him three times. And the third time we read in John twenty-one seventeen, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. And then and Paul echoes the same thought in Titus and Timothy saying that that a, a an elder needs to be one who is an able teacher. Timothy one nine says they need to be able to encourage with sound doctrine and refute uh, b- bad doctrine. And so we see that. They need to be able teachers. They need to know sound doctrine. They need to be able to refute false doctrine. And this equates to feeding the flock. And then finally, the, the one thing that I want to say about shepherding is that shepherds love and care for the flock. Shepherds love and care for the flock. There's a saying, if you don't like sheep, you know, don't be a shepherd, right? And there's a spiritual correlation. If, if you don't like people, you shouldn't be an elder of a church. Because part of the elder's job is, is to love and care for God's people. They, do, they show love and care through prayer, like in James five fourteen and 15. Is any among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will restore him to health. As he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Elders show love and care by praying over the people. And I can tell you, your elders pray over you. Not only on Wednesday night, which we do exhaustively, but we pray for you on a regular basis. We are praying for you. They also show love and care, elders do, by helping and giving to the people. In Acts 20, again, where Paul is talking to the elders, Acts 20, 35, he says, In every way I've shown you that by laboring like this, it's necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then Paul shows the real heart of an elder in 2 Corinthians. I know I'm putting you through a Bible drill, but write these verses down and read them later. They're worth knowing. 2 Corinthians 2, 4. Listen to Paul's heart. Paul was an elder. He says um, that, that he is a, he's an elder as well. Uh, Peter says he's a fellow elder. Um, but listen to Paul's heart. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, Not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love that I have for you. That's the prayer of every elder. That the people would know how much they love God's people. And so, elders do whatever they can to make sure the people of God are safe. 
They make sure that they are fed and loved and cared for, whether the people like it or not. That's what elders do. We want to make sure that they are, they are loved and cared for. In World War II, Winston Churchill was forced to make a painful choice. They had broken, the, uh, the British Secret Service had broken the Nazi code, and they told Churchill that Coventry was going to be bombed. And he had a choice to make. He could either evacuate Coventry and save hundreds of people there, but let the Germans know that they had broken the code, or he could do nothing, let the information still come, let Coventry be bombed and maybe lose hundreds of people, but save many, many more in the outcome of the war. And so he had a tough choice to make. And he chose the latter. He did not inform Coventry, and they did lose some people. But it was best for the outcome of the war. Now, this is a drastic example of, of how a leader cares for the people, and it's harsh. And I would guess most elders in the church don't have to make those kind of, of decisions. But it's the type of decisions that elders have to wrestle with To, to protect God's people, to care for God's people. We need to make decisions on who should be in leadership or not because it's our ministry to protect from false doctrine. We need to know what's going on in the world so that we can be able to combat that false doctrine if it's trying to ease its way into the church. We have to stay alert for any wolves that want to infiltrate the body. And we, continue, we, we continually walk with the Lord our best what we can. Um, none of us are, are, are perfect by any means, but we walk with the Lord as best as we can in order to be able to feed the flock from our relationship with God. We pray and labor and think and cry over God's people on a regular basis. And I can tell you, the elders of this body love you and care for you and pray for you and labor over you. And any decision we make is, is after prayer and thinking and wrestling with it, any decision made is for the betterment of the body. And so God calls elders to shepherd God's flock and the next question I want to deal with, just for the sake of time, is how do elders serve? And you're going to have to deal with this just real briefly, but you'll get the idea. He says out of, in verse 2, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but freely. And the idea is the attitude of willingness. There's nothing compelling them, no outside force saying you have to serve, or, or anybody twisting their arm, or they're not serving out of guilt. They're doing so willingly because they want to serve. The only compulsion they have is the compulsion from God, like in 1 Corinthians 9.16. This is Paul. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because an obligation is placed on me, and woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That's God's compulsion on the elders, and they want to serve, serve freely. They serve not at a compulsion, but voluntarily. Elders also serve not because of money, but because they're eager to. He says, not for the money, but eagerly. 
It's the idea of, of motivation. Elders can, should and, and can be paid. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, um, he tells us, the elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of an ample honorarium, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of its wages. But the issue here isn't, and it's a little weird me preaching and telling you that it's okay for a preacher to be paid. I know how awkward that is. But he is simply. But that's not the issue at hand. The issue that he's talking about here is that their motivation isn't trying to get more and more money, or they're trying to get rich, or something to that effect. They're not serving as elder for the money. They're doing so eagerly. They just want to serve. It's an honorable thing to do that. First Timothy three one. Paul says this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. So someone wants to be, they aspire, they desire to be an elder, that's, that's a good thing. But if they're doing so to get more money, that's the wrong attitude. And finally, he says, not autocratically, but ex- as examples. Elders are not autocrats or, or power-hungry men who are just trying to have a little kingdom to rule. That's not. And if there's someone who is like that, they should not be an elder. God has some very powerful negative uh, warnings for men like that and some very scary promises for men who want to abuse God's flock uh, through, through power. Ezekiel 34, 4 is just a real brief, and, and you, I'd encourage you to read Ezekiel 34, the whole thing, because it is a sobering chapter, like I said. It says, You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. And later in, the, later in that chapter, God says, if you're not going to care for my people, I'm going to show up and I'm going to care for my people. And he doesn't say it, but he says, and you'll be in trouble. I mean, he doesn't say it specifically, but if God has to come and do your job for you, he says that's going to be a bad, a bad situation for you. There's to rule lovingly. Let me just finish by saying, why do elders serve? Why do they serve? Why would there be men who would put themselves in the position? James says they're going to receive harsher judgment. Again, Ezekiel 34 says, if you do this incorrectly, God's going to come and correct you. Jeremiah has stuff to say about the shepherds of God's people. Why would do that? Why would they do that? Verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. They're not doing it for the crown of glory. They're doing it because the chief shepherd is coming. The chief shepherd's coming. Time is short. We read in 1 Thessalonians that Christ is coming and he's going to bring all the people who have passed before us and they're going to be coming with him and we're going to be raised up to be with them. We read in Revelation that Jesus is not coming back as a suffering servant. He's coming back as a victorious king. He's going to come back and set everything right. And time is short. 
And an elder's motivation should be we want more people, more people, more people to be with Christ. To, to turn their life over to Christ and be part of his kingdom. Elders are incredibly important in the life of the church. Someone says, as leadership goes, so goes the people. This sermon is incredibly important, I believe. Don't tune out. I'm just about done. I think this is incredibly important because, listen to me, and Bob Millard and Wes Hartman, you have two of the most godly men I have ever met who are leading this church as elders. And I'm not just saying that. I mean it. I've met a lot of men over the 22 years of ministry, and I'm saying there is, I've not met more godlier men than these two guys. And this church is blessed to have them here. I, I cannot tell you how blessed I am, not only because I don't have to do ministry alone, but because I get to do ministry along two men of the highest caliber that, that uh, I, can, I can imagine. And that the church is blessed by that. I'm blessed by that, and you are blessed by that. And our prayer for elders should be uh, one that I'm going to read here from a guy by the name of Bob Moorhead. He's a pastor in Redmond, Washington. And in his book, Growth Factor, he wrote this prayer. Listen to this, and I'll, I'll finish with this. God... Give us men ribbed with the steel of your Holy Spirit, men who will not flinch when the battle's fiercest, men who will not acquiesce or compromise or fade when the enemy rages. God, give us men who can't be bought, bartered, or badgered by the enemy, men who will pay the price, make the sacrifice, stand the ground, and hold the torch high. God, give us men obsessed with the principles true to your word, men stripped of self-seeking and a yen for security, men who will pay any price for freedom and go any lengths for truth. God, give us men delivered from mediocrity, men with vision high, pride low, faith wide, love deep, and patience long, men who will dare to march to the drumbeat of a distant drummer, men who will not surrender principles of truth in order to accommodate their peers. God, give us men more interested in scars than medals, more committed to conviction than convenience, men who will give their life for the eternal instead of indulging their lives for a moment in time. Give us men who are fearless in the face of danger, calm in the midst of pressure, bold in the midst of opposition. God, give us men who will pray earnestly, work long, preach clearly, and wait patiently. Give us men whose walk is by faith, behavior is by principle, whose dreams are in heaven, and whose book is the Bible. Give us men who are equal to the task. These are the men the church needs today. That, that should be our prayer for the leadership of the church. And so today's response, I always ask for a response for the sermon, and the response for the sermon today is going to be different. I'm going to ask Bob and Wes, and I'm going to ask Sue to come down with Wes, and I'm going to ask my wife Rhonda to come down, and we're going to stand in front here. And I'm going to ask you all to come down and gather around us and pray for us. 
Again, that may seem self-serving, but I'm asking that you not only pray for us here, but pray for us regularly. And so in a minute here, I'm going to have you come down. Some gather around Bob, some gather around Wes and Sue. Please gather around Rhonda and I as well. And I'm going to ask two or three of you around these people to just spontaneously pray for them. After everyone's done, I'll leave this in a closing prayer. But now I'm going to ask you to come and, and gather around us and pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for, for Wes and Bob who are leaders here, the elders, the shepherds, the overseers. And Lord, I thank you that you have called Rhonda and I here as well. I pray for Wes and Sue and pray that you would w- work in their lives and keep them strong. And I ask for help for Bob and strength for him. And Lord, I, I pray for the people of Rosemont. I thank you for the unity that we have here. I thank you for the, the love we have for one another. And I pray that you would just use us to build your kingdom here in Montrose and throughout the state and throughout the world. And Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.